0: You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Hi, everyone. Happy 2019. I hope you had a peaceful, wonderful, celebratory new year. And... You know, I love the new year because it is a time of introspection. It is a time of possibility. And I truly believe that you could make a fresh start any time of the year. Deciding to only start again in January feels false and it doesn't necessarily work with our personal lives and what's going on with us. It may not be the perfect time for you to think about something like renewal or changing patterns or creating new habits. But for me, there is a momentum in the air. People are all kind of feeling the same way. They're thinking about the same types of things. And I got caught up in that spirit every year. I find it's a great time, especially because the phone stopped ringing for a couple of days here at Affordable Interior Design. We take off until the 2nd. And it's a wonderful time for me to escape with my journal to go think about goals, to think about maybe stretch goals, things I wouldn't have normally accomplished in my day-to-day activities, but things I want to try that are a little bit scarier this year, both in my personal life but also in my professional life. One thing I have on the horizon for early in 2019 is to create a certification program because as most of you who are avid listeners know, I did not – have formal interior design education. I was an art major, and then I became an apprentice for a famous designer. And now, of course, I've designed oodles of spaces throughout New York City and the world, um, everywhere from India to England to Argentina and Israel. Uh, but anyway, it's just. I truly feel that a lot of people have a passion for interior design who don't have time to go back to school. And frankly, I don't feel that school does a great job in preparing you for designing on a retail level. Um, 80% of my designers have been to design school, formally trained, and I will tell you that I have to start them back at, you know, step one. Uh, I have to teach them how to design at a retail level because when you're learning in school, you're learning how to design custom. You're learning all these different options. You're not working with any budgets. You can really make anything you want happen. And of course, you're learning lots more of those technical things like AutoCAD, like all the historical types of furniture. But they're not things that apply when you're shopping at Crate and Barrel. When you're online at West Elm, you need to know different things. The proportions even are somewhat different when you're shopping retail. And these are all things I have to train my designers who have only been working in high-end situations with tons of custom applications. So... I truly feel from my own expertise and then recently having trained two designers for our firm who are rock stars who did not formally go to interior design school, I feel that if you're going to be an interior designer who does not do custom, who does shop in a retail space, that there's a whole nother lesson plan you need. And I have that lesson plan from training each designer who comes through our door and we've honed it over the past seven years so that it has become somewhat of a well-oiled machine. And I think it's time for me to share that because I have been holding on to it rather tightly, thinking of it as our special sauce. Many of you have read my book and taken my online classes, but those are more general. Uh, And also in my book, I talk about lots of topics, but I don't talk about exactly how the sausage is made, how to create the perfect floor plan every time. I don't get into the minutiae of measurements and smaller details overall. And the reason is because that's not why somebody is coming to that book. They're not really looking at it necessarily as a textbook. But I think it's time to create a course because I get so many questions um, every single month about, Betsy, how did you do it? Betsy, what can you teach me? I just got a question today about, Betsy, is there a mentorship experience that you offer? And so it will be a different level of class for somebody who truly wants to take their show on the road. Uh, but I think I'm going to do it this year. And I would love to hear from you guys if it's something that you're interested in, if this kind of course is a course that you would um, really invest in and go through these modules and do homework and um, maybe even join like a Facebook community where I would weigh in and kind of help guide you as you're growing. uh, I would love to hear from you because like I said, it's just something that's kind of been in the back of my mind, but I've been holding... Some of these secrets very close to the best, And I think it's time to truly embrace why I got into this, which is that I feel everyone who has a desire should have a home they love, should be empowered to create well-designed spaces. And if you feel like you also have a gift and a passion that you're not being able to fully realize, well, I'd love to teach you how. It is a teachable skill. You do not have to have an eye for design um, to be a designer. And there you go. All right. So that's my big scary goal for 2019. What is yours? Have you been thinking about changes you want to make to your home or otherwise? Well, let's dig into the old mailbag because I have lots of questions from people who have been wondering what's next for their space and I would love to start answering it. So Chelsea has a very long email that has lots of good questions sprinkled throughout. So I'm going to dig right in. But before I do, let me also share with you that this has been a busy, busy time. And I alone, um, with my help of my assistant every now and again, manage our inbox. If you feel that your email has gotten lost in the shuffle, please write me. Know that we are somewhat inundated with emails, which is a delightful problem to have, but it is hard to manage them with a very bare bones staff. So please know that I am not ignoring you. Know that I don't not like your question. It's just questions that have a lot of pictures or a lot of details or are super long. They can tend to kind of get lost in the shuffle or they don't fit in as easily to each episode. So I'm more likely to answer the quick ones first just because they fit in better to the time frame. The other thing that will get your questions answered first is if you put that you are a premium member in the subject line. So if you are a member of our premium membership model, if you belong to our monthly subscription at $5.99, $5.99 that is, which you can find on bigdesignsmallbudget.com, you do get your question moved to the top of the queue. So I will be answering it first and you will also get access to of course all those bonus episodes we think I think we have an archive of nearly 50 now, and I'll be dropping a new one every month, including one later this week. All right. I didn't want to forget to put that out there. Uh, And let me dig into Chelsea's question. All right. Hi, Betsy. Thank you for all your hard work on your book, your podcast, your online services. They are very, very, very helpful. I especially love your idea of using one feeling word and one style word when designing. I do have questions, though. There are many photos attached for you to follow along. Huxley, my dog, also wanted to be in the photos. And I do love seeing your dogs, people. Big pet fan over here. There's a bit of background to explain before I ask my question. My house was built in 1920 and is pretty much a square structure. It has nice baseboards and molding. However, it seems that there was an addition in the back of the house where my current kitchen is and where my back door is. From there, a widened wall bleeds into the living room and it is an open layout. So on the right, there is what I call a study, but it's empty now. Next to that, towards the front of the house, is the living room. The photos will help you understand. After much deliberation, I thought that the kitchen should move to the study and the current kitchen should be a mudroom and bathroom since the back door is there, which is where the cars are parked too. My question is, is it weird to have a kitchen next to the living room? My mom thinks it would be weird, and I thought the idea of moving the dining room to the study and expanding the kitchen to the dining room was a good one. But I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of this idea because I think a mudroom and a bathroom is more valuable for resale than expanding the kitchen. Plus, the logistics of moving walls may be tricky due to the age of the house. What do you think? I'm looking for the best flow and resale value. Okay, so this is not a question I can answer on a podcast because there is a lot to think about when you're doing a renovation. You know, first of all, there's a ton of money on the line. Second of all, how long are you going to be there? If you are going to be there – 10 years plus, you shouldn't actually think about what other people are going to want for resale because those trends change and also any renovation materials you choose will probably be visually out of date by the time you're ready to sell. So even though people are excited that you have a mudroom, you've done ship lap and you've put in these things that make it feel somewhat dated if it's over 10 years old. So if you're going to be there for 10 years, Make your own dreams come true. Do what you think most makes most sense, both for your dream home, but also for your budget. Because as you know, uh, some of these changes are going to be more expensive than others. Looking at your space now, I, I mean, I do see lots of pictures which are quite helpful. But the problem is, I really don't feel... Like, I can tell you, with this much money on the line, what would be the best option? I would recommend, especially if you recently bought, that you get your real estate agent in here and ask him or her their thoughts on the change. It's a beautiful home. I can tell it has a lot of historic detail. I don't think that the function is totally crazy, but because it is so open, you do have a lack of parallel walls, which I see could be a challenge. And this dog is freaking adorable, by the way. Um, He's like a speckled, I don't know my breeds very well, but he looks like a mix with like a caramel nose with black and white spots. He's just so cute. And he is very interested in these pictures and looks like in design. So I love these historic details, but I don't feel equipped to answer this question for you. But really, reach out to those resources, real estate agents, contractors. Get some hard numbers on some of these ideas and then decide what's possible for you right now. Um, Because thinking about resale is always valuable, but it's not the only thing to consider when you're talking about a major renovation such as this. The next question you asked is about some brick. So in your current dining room, there's exposed brick from a chimney. And you write, I can't decide if I want to paint or not. It's not particularly pretty brick as it has a bit of orange to it. But I don't know if painting would just cover up the historic charm of the home. Right now there's molding around it, which I don't like. But it's also covering part of the chimney that tapers up. So I'm thinking taping off the trim would make it not flush with the exterior wall. I also have no idea what the black circle thing is. Anyway, your thoughts would be helpful. So yes, you do have this kind of odd, probably 18 inch by 18 inch bump out that comes into your dining area that appears to have a round hole that might have been for a venting system before. They might have had like a freestanding... um, stove there that maybe produced some heat and they use that chimney to kind of help vent it. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what it's from since it is just a hole at this point, but a lot of people feel that exposed brick is sacred. And I understand the hesitancy to paint because Once you paint brick, it's very hard to go back. It's very hard to get that paint out of the pores of the brick, out of the pieces of mortar. You really can't undo this decision. So there's a lot on the line. But it's very weird, this little... 18-inch by 18-inch brick bump out in a wide open area that in other ways has no brick that's visible to me. Um, The trim is weird. It kind of frames out this brick and draws attention to the fact that it's this odd anomaly. But I think you're totally right. Should you remove it, you're going to see a big gap between the sheetrock and the brick and that might look even worse my thought would be to paint it the same color as the wall. Now something that is further complicating the issue is that you have a chair rail and below the chair rail you've painted it looks like to me a deep emerald or super dark teal green which i actually really love with the wood tones that are going on in this space because the wood is so warm and rich and this cool dark jewel tone really helps to offset that and then you appear to have some kind of light beige above the chair rail so it's hard to know which way to go with painting this odd brick anomaly I would be leaning towards painting it the color of the wall, the neutral wall, which is that light beige, and doing it up and down, and also painting that weird trim that frames it out. Because keeping it in the wood tone, again, would draw attention to it like a frame around a picture. But I'm not completely convinced of this choice either. Uh, you may want to see what other options your contractor brings to the table. You may just want to box it out fully with sheetrock just so that it maintains its structure. You don't want to rip out your chimney. But at the same time, I think boxing it out would, while it's not the most affordable solution, it's not the most expensive solution either. And I think it would be the most optimal visually. So, Chelsea, I hope that helps. And um, give your dog a little New Year's treat for me. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, All right, my next question. Oh, this is the one I was referring to. This is the one I was referring to that came in this week. It's from Catherine. She writes, Betsy, I hope you and your team are enjoying the holidays. I'm a huge fan. I have your book. I listen to your podcast. I take your online classes. The resources you create are really helpful to me as I continue to work creating a beautiful space in my home. I've been in the tech industry for five years, but ultimately I want to be a designer. I'm finding myself feeling ready to take the next steps in furthering my education, but I want to be smart about the program. I choose? Would you or your team be willing to have a quick call with me from a mentoring perspective? I'd be very interested on hearing your thoughts on what the next steps would be and what would be most beneficial as I transition my career to interior design. Thank you so much for your consideration and have a happy new year. All right. So you know what I'm going to say based on what I said earlier. I also have a podcast that was like one of the first 20 That's called um, So You Want to Be an Interior Designer. Because say you want to be an interior designer who does do high-end. Say you don't want to do affordable interior design, which is kind of the model that my experience is based on. Well, I am not the person to go to if you want to start doing custom treatments, custom furniture, things like that. That is something you'd want to go to school for. And just to give you a little encapsulation of what I talked about in that episode, you know, before you completely switch fields, I wish that there was a way for you to get some practical experience because when I went to work at that firm as an apprentice, I didn't have all that technical background, so I wasn't able to do the AutoCAD drawings or to even dig into QuickBooks. I didn't even have that depth of knowledge. But I will tell you that on a high-end level, especially if you go to work for a firm, 80% of your work is behind a desk doing paperwork, computer work, drafting, things that are very technical, quite tedious, and not artistic at all. It's the exact opposite doing affordable interior design, which can be a little draining in and of itself. You know, we're constantly creating new ideas, constantly coming up with fresh designs, talking with, you know, between three and six clients a week. As each designer. Um, So that really adds up if you calculate at the end of the year. That's a lot of different clients, a lot of different projects, a lot of creative energy. And then we spend about 20% of our time actually invoicing, worrying about anything that has to do with paperwork or, you know, those kinds of technical details. Uh, It's just a different type of experience. And I think it's a really helpful exercise to get a little touch of each so that you can see what you're getting into. Uh, Especially if you want to go that custom route, because I will tell you the creative side is, is not the biggest side of that aspect unless you become the head designer at the firm and everybody's implementing your creative vision. Uh, So it really depends which direction you want to go in. I do think that there is value to getting some of that historical reference information, to learning the types of chairs, to learning the types of upholstery fabrics, even if you're never going to be shopping at a designer-only trade building for fabrics as separate from the furniture frames. So I do feel like that's something you could potentially take a night class in just to get a background in that. But I don't feel that you need to know AutoCAD or Revit or SketchUp or any of these much more technical floor planning systems if you want to be a residential interior designer. I'll tell you lots more in the certification program that I'm creating. I'll teach you how to use my favorite floor planner, Icovia. It has pros and cons, but overall... You know, all my designers have their own experiences with different floor planners, and we've come to settle on this one as our favorite. So I'll have tutorials. I'll have all sorts of other information to get you started. But Catherine, keep me posted. Email me at Betsy at com. Let me know what you might want to learn in this class. Let me know what direction you're headed in, and then we can help tailor this class to what people want. All right, let's move on to my next question, which came from Cara Lee. Oh, yes, Carol Lee has a lot of questions too. Okay, okay. We're going to dig in. We're going to make this happen. Okay, hi, Betsy. I found your podcast this summer and I have spent the year binge listening to all your episodes. I love the way you approach design. I have some questions about decorating my living room. I currently live in an 1800s farmhouse. I've been working on this room for the last year and a half. My inspiration piece is the floral art and the blue cabinet in the pictures. Excuse me. I have some questions that I'm hoping you can answer about my space. Here goes. First of all, I am unsure of the layout. I feel I've landed on the best possible layout. What do you think? If so, do you think that the TV is okay where it is with a smaller stand? All right guys, so let me help to illustrate these pictures for you. Hold on one second. So she has kind of an open concept space as well. You know, the entry bleeds into this living room as you walk in. On the left-hand side, you have a wood-burning stove. On the right-hand side, you immediately have the TV, which does not have good parallel viewing to the sofa, but perhaps they don't watch a lot of TV in this room. I'm not sure, Carolee. Then uh, the room appears to open up to the kitchen. And it's got a lot of neutral tones. I'm not seeing too much color. The rug is like a light lilac. But the window treatments are appear to be like an off-white. The paint appears to be a warm gray beige. The sofa appears to be a beige. And I am loving the wood carved details on the armchair as well as on the little settee over there. Then she has a big rustic trunk as a coffee table, uh, a light blue in table, and an adorable little daughter running around in the background. So that's what I'm seeing here from my vantage point. And I do think that the TV, I mean, at least for me as an avid TV watcher, is in a problematic spot. I would ideally want there to be parallel viewing between the TV and the sofa. It's hard for me to tell you without doing my due diligence and really going through this and hearing what you want to do in the space that your floor plan is right or wrong. But I can tell you... um my feelings on this entry console slash tv stand you know your room is so nicely done and it does have this level of sophistication with this neutral color palette and this beautiful almost marble like subway tile behind the wood burning stove i mean it's obvious that you have great tastes but i don't love that this piece of furniture in the entryway that's also serving as your tv console is overlapping the drapes the drapes are tucked behind which You know, definitely leaves a lot to be um, desired in the luxury standpoint. It takes all that beautiful fabric and all that beautiful work of choosing these wonderful drapes and kind of uh, negates the glory of it all. I also don't love that there is a piece of art behind the TV. It's redundant. You know, a, a TV is in the shape of a piece of art. It's horizontal. It could potentially mount on the wall. And... The fact that it's overlapping this landscape is really bugging the heck out of me. I would mount the TV in this scenario because when you walk in, you immediately see the back of the TV and I'd want to minimize that profile as much as possible. Additionally, then you could get a fully articulating arm for this TV so that you could create that parallel viewing situation for when you do want to watch TV in this space and then you could tuck it all the way against the wall for when you don't want to watch TV in this space because In case I haven't made myself clear, the TV is actually perpendicular to the sofa. So that would be my advice for the TV situation. But as long as the TV is not wider than the TV stand that it's above, I don't really have any problems with the TV stand per se. I do like a wider TV stand because otherwise your TV looks a little bit top heavy. But in this case, you appeared to have checked that box. Um, Let me get back to your next questions you write, where? Do, what do you think I should put on the wall that has the stairs? I can't seem to figure it out. It's part of the open concept living dining room. And we currently use that space for a play area for our kids. So yes, your living room, if I'm understanding correctly, flows right in to your kitchen area. And there is this odd little transition area between the wood-burning stove, and the kitchen with this small wall and you have a kids' table here with some craft supplies. It doesn't seem to be a great use of that wall, I will say. I mean, I understand kids needing a space in the main living area, Um, but everything in that zone is so brightly colored and everything in the rest of the space is so neutral that it really does stick out like a sore thumb. I'd rather you have a cabinet here with the crafts and then perhaps there's a space in the living area or dining area where they could work. If you don't have a cabinet style, um, I'm sorry, if you don't have a place where they could work in another area and you need a table here, I would go for kids furniture that looks less kid like you may want to investigate serena and lily you may want to look at um, crate and kids they have some really nice options that would go better with this light wood tone that you've been using in the living room and not be well let's just say it would be much more harmonious with the sophisticated choices that you've looked already made in the living room because right now it looks a little bit like, you know, the Ikea table and the Jembery chairs just got dropped in this really lovely muted living room. So that would be my choice there. You mentioned you've been wanting to change the couch, but with the beige chair, what would you recommend? Okay, so yes, you have a very Dark beige sofa. And you know, it's hard to say exact colors in pictures, but it does appear to be a very dark beige. And then you have kind of these light linen accent seating options. You have kind of the settee that has a light linen. Very light beige look and your chair has the same style. I would still go with a deeper beige because you do want to contrast. When I squint, I don't want to see that everything in here is this light linen, light beige, darker than off-white color, which the drapes are and the wall paint is a little bit too. So I like the idea of going darker, but I think that this sofa is a little too chunky. Uh, It's got rolled arms. It goes almost all the way to the floor. It has very heavy brass nail heads. So I think doing something lighter and more feminine, maybe something with some legs would help the situation. Uh, Maybe something that's not quite as long too, so you can put lamps on either side of the sofa just to create those cozy pools of light because right now you're headed for a Betsy Smackdown. I'm looking at this entire room and I only see one lamp. I do see an overhead light as well as two sconces flanking the fireplace, but this room is quite large. And so I feel like you could use some additional lamps. And there you go. You didn't ask that question, but I, I put that in there. Um, And then you said, lastly, I would like to p- replace the bench with another comfortable, cozy chair. Any recommendations? So I guess you're calling that settee a bench, which is fine because that's fine, but it's a bench with a back. I would be more inclined to call it a settee. Uh, And I understand it's a little bit weird because, you know, a settee is really nice for one person to sit for 15 minutes and have a cocktail. But I wouldn't want to watch a movie there. And it's a little bit close to have two people sitting there. I mean, I imagine it's less than 50 inches long. Uh, So I would be inclined – to either do a similar chair to what you have across the room because that has so much flavor with its carved wood and tall legs. Uh, So you could either just replicate that and put another one on the other side for that symmetrical um, look that goes really well with this more transitional style. Or you could do something totally different. Something that doesn't have a wood framing so it doesn't compete with the other piece. Something that maybe only has wood legs. Something that maybe even could be a color. You know I'm wanting to infuse this space with a little color. I can't help myself. So that is my two cents on that. And you mentioned that you would welcome any ideas that I have. And that you're looking forward to taking advantage of holiday sales. Well, I will tell you, Carol Lee, January is the best time to be shopping for home goods. It is the time when everything is going on sale. The time when they are switching over their inventory to make new looks for the new year. So this is the time when I hit the stores. In fact, I'm hitting the stores on Saturday. And I'm going to be tearing these shelves apart. I'm going to be grabbing the clearance stuff before it gets gone at the end of the month. And uh, another prime time is July, but truly there's no better time than January. So hit those stores before I get there because I'm going to clean it out. Guys, it has been such a pleasure talking with you again this week. Feel free to keep sending those questions to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. I also have a new book that is coming out next week. Now, as avid listeners know, it's not a completely new book. It's an updated version of my hardcover book that came out in 2014. It has new tips. Every picture has been changed out for a fresh look from a recent project. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to be paperback, so the price will be a little bit less. But the content will be the same. I haven't even seen a copy yet uh, I think we're all going to be ordering them on Amazon together. But as soon as they come in, I'm going to order crate loads so that I can give you a special discount and, of course, send you signed copies as you like. So keep an ear out for that. I'll be updating you guys as soon as I know more. Uh, the title of that book is AffordableInteriorDesign.com. And there's some changes coming to the podcast in 2019, too. I'm excited to share those with you. But uh, I need a little more time for those to bake. So. Until next time, guys, happy designing and keep your questions coming. And I will catch you next week. Bye. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. Bye.